Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Roto Daily Fantasy Golf Podcast, Going for the Green. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. I am joined by Colin Drew. This week, we are here to talk about the 3M Open taking place at the TPC Twin Cities, the first time that an event has been played in the great state of Minnesota in over 50 years on the PGA Tour. They were really just trying to avoid Griff, Colin. <laughs> I love Minnesota. Good people there. Good hockey in Minnesota. Uh, great weather in the summer. Lots of good golf courses there. So I'm excited that they're bringing a tournament to Minnesota. I think it should be a pretty good event. And hopefully, hopefully the weather cooperates and hopefully it showcases all the, all the nice people in this, the great state of Minnesota. So we are coming off one of the, this has to be the weirdest event of the year, right? Because not only was the winner not on DraftKings, but like the DraftKings Sportsbook and the FanDuel Sportsbooks did not even have Nate Lashley listed on their odds because he was added to the tournament Wednesday night. And I mean, he just, he lapped the field, right? Like I, there was, there was never, he would have had to have shot probably like a 79 to give up his lead on Sunday, but he, he was actually so good that not only did he win, but he got scoring points and, uh, and helped you to a bink. Uh, yeah, he wasn't actually on the winning team. We can get into that later. Oh, like, he wasn't? No, no, I had the, the fade on that team. But yeah, I mean, obviously incredible performance from him. You know, really cool story. Uh, if you guys don't know, he's a golfer. Both his parents and his girlfriend had died in a plane crash coming from one of his college golf tournaments. And so he had quit golf for a bit, came back, spent a long time grinding his tour card and then getting a life-changing win. There's a lot of places that can tell the story better than me, but really cool and inspiring story. One of the feel-good stories of the year. and Definitely uh, an event where there was a lot of randomness. I think we talked about that on the podcast last week. The scoring conditions were going to be so low, it was going to perhaps feel like a random winner. And the leaderboard definitely reflected that. But still, really cool to see Nate Lashley pull off that win. And like you said, there wasn't much Sunday drama. You know, there were minus six or minus eight rounds available. So he would have had to have someone shoot one of those and put up a bad round himself. Um, I don't know. The story of the week, along with Lashley for DFS, it was definitely as much guys who didn't do Dustin well. Dustin missing the cut. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. DJ, very painful. Gary Woodland, Ryan Moore, Ches Reeve were all highly ranked players in the betting markets and in the salaries and they all missed the cut. Ricky Fowler didn't finish inside of the top 20, finished 46. And then Hideki was really one of the only high price guys who delivered along with Brant Snedeker and Patrick Reed. I feel, I feel very blessed that I got out of a week where I was 48% DJ across contests and, uh, and managed to like, I, I think I only lost like 20% in DraftKings MME. So like that, that feels like a big win. I didn't even look at the teams that made me money back. My guess was the, the Hovland hero round on Sunday probably contributed to some five of six teams making money. Yeah, I was, I was very live on FanDuel again on Sunday. Going into the day, I had uh, two teams inside the top 15 of the MME there. The best team was sitting in third and then another team in 12th. So I was expecting uh, a good sweat on FanDuel and everybody's birdieing so you kind of fall back before your guys even start and then right. my guys that was the crazy thing yeah is is every like on saturday and sunday if your guys were up on the top of the leaderboard you were losing money as the, er the early round went off because guys were shooting 65s like crazy yeah and then my guys opened with bogey so like my fanduel sweat was like insta dead went to the pool with the family 
And then I was walking home from the pool, decided to check in on the, the round four showdown lineups. And I was like, hey, I'm up, I'm up 15K right now. So Davis, I ended up doing it, ended up getting to even on round four showdown. Been you, a, loved, a, you love to see it getting even on round four showdown. 12-month battle with round four showdown, trying to crack the code. Uh, not sure that I cracked the code, but at least for a week, um, it worked out well. That round, I mean, everyone went low. Uh, Billy Horschel, Victor Hovland were on that same team. So both of those guys put up hero performances and it was kind of a mix and match team um, I had set up groups in our optimizer to kind of cap the number of guys inside the top 20 that were on individual lineups because I wanted a mix of the high you know high ranked guys would get place points but also guys that would be low owned and coming from the back right. so I was pretty overweight on Hovland and Horschel I think I had 25% Horschel in round four and maybe 10 or 15% Hovland and that ended up being what catapulted it um, yeah. I'd say in general showdown, like I, the reason I kept firing around four is I like the kind of theory that goes into it. The placement points, they matter, um, a lot. Some weeks they matter less other weeks like birdie fest, like last week. And so that kind of dictates how many guys you might want to take from the top of the board versus deeper down. And I kind of like thinking through all that stuff, um, on a weekly basis. And I like that it, it's so dynamic. So I guess that was one of the big things um, that I did from a strategy perspective was utilizing the groups to get a mix of players from the top and bottom of the board that would be low owned. And then obviously any good showdown success story has the the shuffle. The shuffle. Yep. Yeah. The shuffle. I mean, I, I will say this. If I was to just stop chasing the crazy prize fools in week long, which like don't kid yourself. Like that's the reason that people are playing more week long. I, I would be like a, a very positive ROI PGA daily fantasy player. Cause the, the tools are so good. What, what data golf and daily roto has compared. Like I think a lot of people who are doing showdown are not using optimizers at all. I think you're playing against a lot of hand built lineups. Yeah, I definitely think you are. Um, a lot of people either don't have the optimizer access or don't have projections for it. And Data Golf has projections up at Daily Roto every week for that. So if you are looking to play more showdown, whether it's for this week's event or some of the bigger prize pools for the Open Championship, definitely head over, support us, and check out our golf product at dailyroto.com. Uh, but yeah, enough about that. We don't need to go into a 20-minute uh, victory lap of last week. Let's get into this week's event. So the 3M Open now being played at the TPC Twin Cities. This is an Arnold Palmer designed golf course. Uh, they they so they don't play PGA Tour events here, but they do play the Senior Open here. So or uh, the Senior Tour uh, events here, and uh, the winning score of this event on the Senior Tour last year, and remember they only played three rounds, was minus twenty. So that should, uh, that should give you an idea of kind of how this golf course plays. Now, for this event, they did lengthen the golf course. They, uh, it's playing as a par 71 instead of a par 72. I think they turned one of the senior par fives into like a 460-yard par four. So there are only three par fives. I mean, I think they wanted to make it more difficult, and there is, there's 27 water hazards on this course, so kind of what the, what the you know, anytime there's a lot of water, obviously there's going to be more variance, um, you know, with water, double bogeys come into play, there, there were not very many double bogeys in play last week in Detroit, but 7,430 yards is a, is a long golf course, especially considering, considering the water hazards, but 1,000 feet above sea level, it's science time. Davis, I, I got to remind you the last time we played an event at altitude, it wasn't too many months ago, the 2019 WGC Mexico Championship. 
and you went heavy on the Bryson DeChambeau touting. I didn't. I did not go heavy. I locked. I just. I just put that <laughs> lock button in. And uh, not great. DeChambeau that week finished 56th in that you know 60 to 70 man field. Didn't gain strokes tee to green. He did not seem to have the calculations dialed in. Uh, are are you? going to move past the altitude narrative or is that just some bad variance and he just needed to reconfigure and he's going to, he's going to have it all locked in for, for this event. I mean, his game has just been horrible really since that event, right? Like he's been bad for sort of three months and now he's finally starting to round into form a little bit. The weird thing about his game right now, which has never really been an issue for him is he is not gaining strokes off the tee compared to the field. Now he's gaining strokes on approach around the green and putting. So his results have still been pretty good. I am maybe like a little bit worried about the fact that he's losing strokes off the tee though. Yeah. So one of the things for this week, I think we, we agree the course is going to play pretty easy relative to par, um, probably, you know, a winning score of at least minus 15 or better and could see something similar to what we had last week. Um, but there is more water this week. So the bad shots will at least be punished. Last week, I felt like the bad shots, you could get away with egregious shots, no punishment, still have a shot to get it up and down for par. And plenty of guys were doing that. This week, a bad shot on approach. I mean, you're, you're going in the water on a, a good chunk of the holes. And I think that I mean, least- a, a bad shot on approach this week too, I think it's like par is not going to be a good score on a lot of these holes. So like if everyone else you're playing with is sticking it to nine feet and you're sticking yours to 18 feet, that's losing a stroke to the field. Well, probably not a stroke, but I, and but not, I mean, you, you guys get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think the approach play will matter maybe a little bit more than last week. Maybe there's a little bit less randomness because some of those bad shots will be penalized, whereas last week you could get away with it. But I think it's going to set up relatively similar to last week, uh, both in scoring condition. Yeah. I think it's going to favor approach a little bit. And um, I think it's still going to be a score where you need the low score to win. And whenever that happens, you're going to have to gain a lot of strokes with the putter. And that was something that we saw with last week's event mm-hmm. as well. So I do think it's one of those weeks where, you know, the, the putting matters long-term. Yeah, I, 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 am, I am adjusting stuff for putting in the data golf stuff. I know they account for some of it, but I am going to probably make some pretty significant adjustments on specific guys in my player pool to account for putting. Yeah, and I, I think it's, you know, small stuff here and there. We still saw, like, you know, top 15s last week from bad putters like Ben on Hideki Matsuyama. Um, but you did see some of but those. Benny, ga- Benny gained strokes putting. He made a 41 footer. There's probably, there's probably events where like his cumulative made putts have not equaled up the 41 feet. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. And you saw some, some of those hot putters. We had talked about it a little bit, guys who didn't pop in projections, but uh, and maybe you, you only wanted to put one of them on a lineup. Um, but Patrick Reed, Brant Snedeker, uh, guys who can get really hot with the putter. And then, I, I mean, I think you saw with the guys who ended up finishing up towards the top, they were obviously guys that got hot that week. Some of that is going to be variance, but a week where probably will be uh, waiting putting a little bit more than, than typically. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with all of that. Course, course fit stuff. Um, I mean, like we already mentioned, strokes gained approach is probably the number one thing that I'm going to be looking at when making decisions this week in terms of my player pool. Like guys who, guys who, especially, like, you know, last 24 rounds, last 12 rounds, stuff like that. Uh, I'm going to be giving a little bit of bump to that short term form. Yeah, I think um, I'll be looking kind of at strokes gained approach and off the tee over the 
previous like 50 rounds and uh, strokes gain putting over a much longer time period, probably lightweight on around the green. I don't typically lean heavily on it anyways, but uh, this week, if if some of those balls are finding the water, then you're just you're dialing up another approach shot versus uh, chipping it up and in. So that's kind of what I'm thinking this week. Um, but I would say the most tangible takeaway for me is is probably just a slight boost to really good putters and a slight knock to some of the the worst putters out there. Yeah, um, uh, we have guys who are uh, hot right now. Player player trends from uh, our our pals at Data Golf. We got Duffner. Tringali, Sabatini, Neiman, and Streelman all as better than uh, a stroke over their average over some of their recent rounds. The, the guy in this who I am most interested in is uh, the Slovakian, Rory Sabatini. I, I really like him this week. Yeah, I like Sabatini as well. Um, not, I mean, a little bit because of the form. I feel like it, it's been there for yeah, over the past five rounds but or five events, but even before that, I feel like he's been in decent form. Um, but I, th- I think he's going to be low owned with the price increase this week too. So that has me into Sabatini probably buying him as a hot play. Um, probably buying Kevin Streelman as well, at, le- at least as far as buying into his form. Yeah. Not that I, ex- I don't expect some like massive outlier ceiling performance from Streelman, but he feels like a steady play. So if he's super hot, like 20% owned, I'll probably get off him. But if he's like 10 to 15, that steadiness in the lineup could be pretty nice. Um, and then I'm, I, I buy Neiman's form and it's nice to see, but I guess I have some concerns about his ownership and I think there are pivot options that I like as much or perhaps a little bit more. So I guess those are the three that I'm kind of most into as far as the form. I'm probably not, not, um, not fully buying it with Tringalian. We've t- we talked about Duffner a little bit on this podcast and, I know that he had been working heavily on some of the long-term swing stuff with his coach and kind of got that feedback directly from his agent. I think his price at 7,700 is reasonable. So um, I'm not, yeah, I think I'm in on Duffner this week. Um, but again, like Duffner, yeah. he's a bad putter he, long-term. He's always going to be a bad putter. That's not changing at this point in his career. So um, just the course fit is, is okay, but the scoring environment, doesn't seem like it's uh, going to be great for him just because you're going to have to sink so many putts. So sprinkle of Duffner, I guess. So diving into the guys who are above 10,000, Brooks, 11.9, Hideki, 11.1, Jason Day, 10.9, Bryson, 10.5, Patrick Reed, 10,000 even. Uh, I'm probably just going to be concentrating my ownership here on Hideki and Bryson. I just, I, you know, I, Brooks is uh, actually a high value play on data golf this week. A lot of the times in these fields, he is not, but uh, yeah, I just, I just, I think Bryson projects very similarly to Brooks on like, I, I would be very cool being like two and a half times the field on Bryson this week. I think. Yeah. I think it's going to take a lot to get to two and a half. Like you're going to need 50% of your lineups to be on Bryson to accomplish. I'm that. not going to be a knit. I'm not going to be a knit. You're being, yeah. No, that's fine. I mean, the I would say the first thing that jumped out, like this range doesn't seem like there's going to be huge disconnects in ownership. I think most of the guys will be between 15 and 20. And I think Reed will be lower, but he's the worst play of the group. Um, so like, I don't see any huge inefficiencies there. So grabbing the guys that you want, uh, I think is fine. Uh, Brooks, I think is the deserving favorite in this field. He's yeah. a guy that the price like DJ last week is a little bit uncomfortable. I do think he'll be lower owned than DJ was last week just because um, 
It's not a major, bro. He doesn't care. Yeah. And I think people are like, they saw what happened with DJ and they're just drawing like the immediate parallel that the same thing could happen. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, whatever you saw last week is going to happen this week too. I like, I like Brooks more than Hideki. Uh, I like Jason Day a little bit. If, if we're talking about potentially turning into a putting contest where someone just needs to bang home a bunch of 10 footers all week, like Jason Day in that type of environment. Um, I like Bryson as well. I guess the one piece of feedback I would say on FanDuel, it's a lot easier to build through these players than it is on DraftKings. Um, but perhaps you want to set up groups in our optimizer to kind of cap the number of top end guys or, or the number of low end guys in your team so that you don't end up with like mega stars and scrubs lineups. So that's something that um, I've been tinkering with. And that's why I was able to, to kind of dodge the disaster from all the top end guys last week. Yeah, I'm I'm cool with a lot of my lineups starting with Bryson and then a 9K guy as opposed to Brooks and an 8K guy, basically. Like I'm yeah, I'm I, I'm, I, I'm all right with that as a construct, and I don't. It seems like I am I'm biglier Bryson than you are this week. No, no, I like Bryson a lot. Uh, I think I think you know him day and Brooks are the guys that are most interesting to me in this range. You can just uh, see his dumb hat bouncing up and down these fairways. What was that? Well, you sounded higher on Hideki than than I was, so I, I'd much rather play Brooks than Hideki. I think this week it sounded like you were a little more into Hideki. Yeah, I mean their top five equity is very similar per Data Golf. Like if you if you're looking at top five equity, Brooks and Hideki and Day are sort of in a, a tier of their own, and then it drops off. But I just I feel very good about Hideki's tee to green game, and Hideki doesn't have any of these like. Is he gonna care? Blah 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 blue stuff. Like I just it's it's so hard to quantify for that stuff, but I just Hideki plays the same way every single week. Like yeah. I just I have I have zero concern on like motivations or anything for him. The only time Hideki is ever ever plays bad is when he's hurt and he plays hurt. Robot robots don't have feelings. Right. Like it's just you I don't know. And maybe, you know that. <laughs> it's true. And I mean, maybe there's probably an element of um, like playing scared and just needing to trust the data with Brooks. But I, I don't I just don't know how anyone who is mathematically oriented can make much of what to do with Brooks at a non-major event. It just feels like sort of an unquantifiable thing to deal with. And I might just take whatever the projections throw out with my other settings. So I might just not alter Brooks's projection at all or my exposure and just whatever my shuffle and ownership settings and unique settings put out with Brooks, I might just take it. That makes sense. So I want to start off the 9K range with um, Sungjae M versus Joaquin Neiman. And I like Sungjae M better than Neiman this week. Uh, I think they project similarly in the data golf model. I think that M is a much better long-term putter. I think that his ownership is going to be substantially lower than Neiman. Uh, he did finish worse last week, but he was actually better tee to green last week and is a better long-term putter. So um, I think that is a good pivot option if you're only building one lineup where uh, potentially pivoting off of Neiman down to M is something I would recommend or pivoting directly up to Rory Sabatini, who rates as a better value in the data golf model and is also going to carry lower ownership. So um, we kind of talked about in the form, I'm buying into the Neiman form, but I just think there are attractive pivots here. And so I think those are two guys that I would have some interest in pivoting in a single lineup in MME. I mean, these are top 10 players in the field. Like they're all going to carry a little bit of ownership. Uh, I think the, the big thing is just if these guys actually stay close to 25% plus ownership, then 
you, you start to consider Xing them. Seems, at, seems at absurd that that Neiman, Finau, Hovland would all be 25-ish percent. Like one of those guys has to lose out, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it ends up like by the time um, early in the week, you know, a lot of people will be talking about what happened last week with Neiman and Hovland. Um, so those, those two guys, I think, you know, maybe they come down a little bit. And then some will spread out to other ranges as guys who seem like they're going to be really low on pivots. Now people start to steam some of those guys, but in general, it's a pretty popular range. People aren't going to be super excited about paying up after what happened last week. And then Patrick Reed's 10 K people aren't going to be excited about that. So I think all like the, the Neiman Finau Hovland range is going to be, it's going to settle at least at 20%. And I, I just, I cannot, I just know I'm going to play Hovland. Like there's no way I'm stopping myself from having a lot of Hovland. So like the only way it cannot be fish is if he somehow ends up like at 18% instead of 26% or whatever. But like, I don't know. I just feels like I'm going to be a fish with Hovland and I can't do anything about it. Yeah. I mean, he made the cut on the number, right? And then then he went big nuke on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Heroed his way on Sunday. So People are going to remember the Sunday performance. They're not necessarily going to remember that he was a, a stroke away from missing the cut on the number. Um, great player. He's good, man. Hovland is just really, really good. Uh, yeah. I mean, his metrics as far as putting, like his short game metrics are pretty egregious. His off the tee play is prolific, and his approach play has been um, it's pretty probably good. What you'd, it's what you'd assume from like a younger player who probably has not had like a just – you know, loads of high cost professional instruction, you'd, you'd expect the raw talent to like, because just being born with that swing, right. And having that flexibility sets him apart. And then the short game probably comes later on. Do you, do you get born with a swing like that? That's what Tom, that's what Tom Hoagie said. He said, he said that some of those guys just have an innate like flexibility that you can't really teach or practice. And it just sort of like, that's just sort of the way that it is. Good, good opportunity for us to plug the take cast. I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this podcast um, are fans of yours and listen to the take cast as well. But if not, take cast is a podcast that Davis manages. It's a, I call it a sports lifestyle podcast. And you've had a couple of great golfers on there over the past few weeks, Tom Hoagie, Joel Damon before that. So um, if you're looking for stuff that's not DFS specific, not betting specific, but is more lifestyle specific in the sports and betting arena, definitely make sure to check out the take cast. Yeah. So that is, that's my take on Victor Hovland is that the dude just has a swing that you can't. And I think the same is true of his Oklahoma state teammate, Matthew Wolf, that they're the way that they gain strokes off the tee. I don't really know if uh, you can teach it, but I just know that they're able to do it right now. Uh, I agree with your analysis on Sung Jay though. He actually probably is my favorite play of this range. Cause I think, um, yeah, I just think he will get bypassed a little bit. Going into the 8K range, more guys that I like here. Streelman, definitely one of them. Charles Howell, definitely one of them. Scott Piercy, definitely one of them. But there are some pretty easy fades for me in this range. Uh, Harmon, Lashley, and Nah, not super. Kevin Nah at a 7,400-yard golf course. Uh, n- no, thank you. I will not be playing him this week. Yeah, I uh- I'm not going to rate similarly to, to Phil and, and to Ryan Moore. Um, I don't have any hot takes on those guys. Uh, I, I think they'll be sub 10% owned and you're going to want pivots. You saw some random stuff happen last week. So I'm not going to rule them out because of the pivots. Uh, they do project as secondary values. Uh, Streelman, I think provides like the, the steadiest factor 
of this group. Uh, Keegan provides some upside, also a ton of volatility, a, co- a week where he's going to have to go low to contend. Yeah, no, Keegan, Keegan on what might turn into a putting fest seems like a, a minimal amount of exposure for me. I probably won't X him this week, but also not like mega interested in playing him. Yeah. And then um, he's kind of priced where he has to contend. Uh, CH3 was my favorite play of last week. He's priced up almost a thousand bucks. I think like 700 bucks. I still like him this week. Uh, I don't not as obsessed with the play as I was last week where I thought he was like the, the safest play on the board in the, the price range. Um, Daniel Berger, I think would be an interesting, like yeah, t- a guy might I be like 5% him. owned. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to boost Phil. I mean, what's why stop now? You know, <laughs> here we go again. Here we go. It's just like at this point, if Phil like T threes an event with like 25 birdies and five bogeys and I don't have them and like at least some significant percentage, I'm just going to like, I've already punted off so many Phil lineups the last three weeks. I don't know why I would stop doing it now. Yeah. Um, that, that's definitely a, a tough one to reconcile for me. Um, hasn't had a finish inside the top 20 since the masters. Uh, he was, he's, that's he's bad. He's, he, he has these rounds where he's just like, all right, I'm going to go shoot 78 and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Like the performance he put on two Fridays ago was one of the, like the weirdest rounds of professional golf I've ever seen. I felt like I got that same performance out of Bubba Watson last Friday. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Very, very tilting. Uh, all right, so yeah, we both we both like Berger. Um, I, I guess I mentioned I was I was pretty high on Piercy. How do you feel about him? Yeah, I like him. I it seems like the ownership's going to be there. Um, but like great tee green play, obviously. And uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I'm, I like Piercy as a play. Um, I just I just worry he could be twenty percent owned. Yeah. So some lower owned guys in the seven K's and these guys are going to be big plays for me because of how tight I set my ownership cap. So I need lots of guys who are single digit ownership, like projected at least to round out my lineups. So I'll probably have like a lot of Peter Malnati, uh, probably have some Lucas Glover, definitely some Taylor Gooch, uh, Sung Kang. Uh, a guy I really wanted to mention though was Corey Connors. So in 13 of the 15 events he's played this year, he uh, lost strokes putting. And then the two events where he gained strokes putting, one of them was his win. And then one of them was like a T8 or something. So, so this, this range is just full of like, ah, shit, here we go again. Yeah, it's definitely all, ah, shit, here we go. Lucas Glover, two missed cuts in a row. Keith Mitchell, two missed cuts in a row. Luke List, three missed cuts in a row. Sung Kang, miscut, 78th, miscut. And then Charlie Hoffman, miscut, miscut, miscut. So those are, those are five players that project as pretty strong values that between them have 13 miscuts or MDF-type performances. Uh, what are you making of this group? Like, are you, are you going back to the well with all of them? Are you hesitant on certain guys but buying on others? How, how are you planning to handle those guys? Lucas Glover, I'm out. Keith Mitchell, here we go again. Luke List, uh, I noted noted uh, out on Luke List. Uh, golf wagerer Davis Maddock it was is out again on Luke. I mean, for real, not one piece of information has ever changed how I view professional sports as much as someone telling me that Luke List was 34. It's never happening for that guy. Uh, Sung Kang going back to the well again, and then Charlie Hoffman. I I never play that dude. I don't think he's very good. 
I think he's like a 6.8 K golfer. Yeah. So I think like Hoffman's easiest to get off because he's 7.8 K. Uh, Glover is 7.7 K. He sh- like, man, I want to get off him, but I think I'm going to go back to the well just because his long-term ball striking is so good. And even his like putting over a long time frame has been pretty solid over the past couple of years. I feel like I'm going to end up playing Glover. I wouldn't be shocked at all if I regret this immediately whenever he starts his uh, opening round. Yeah, first round, water ball, move on. Yeah. yeah. And then um, I, I think Kang, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. Like Kang list, I'll, I'll probably have a little bit of exposure to, but nothing crazy. So I think Hoffman's probably the fade. Glover's the probably the guy I end up like most overweight on and end up uh, with some regrets. Yeah, so I think the guy that rates out as the best play from that range is it's definitely got to be Sung Kang. Like, I think he has the best sort of long-term form. But, uh, I mean, Killa Keith has been really brutal. But I just, on a course that's going to be, that's going to play long, three par fives, a lot of birdie chances, like bent grass greens are not, which, by the way, I guess we forgot to mention the green type at the start of the show. I mean, I think like a T18 here from Killa Keith seems very reasonable. Yeah, I, I think in general, this range, um, we talked a bit last week. I feel similarly about the course this week. Uh, I feel like there's going to be some randomness to this event. I feel like there's going to be a lot of fantasy scoring and that, that can cause some, some more randomness to it. So I'll probably be MMEing FanDuel this week and then three max and maybe MME on DK. Um, and this is just a range where I don't want to take huge stands. I'm happy to take low ownership and, and make some contrarian pivots. Um, and I think it's a, a good range to kind of crank up the shuffle and, and get diversity of players. Uh, like Bud Colley quite a bit this week. I think his approach game is a really good strength, and he's down at 7.3K, a little bit of a discount off some of those other guys that we talked Number about. Number one on tour strokes gained around the green, Bud Colley. And then you got the, the kind of steady um, Dylan Fratelli, Denny McCarthy, Nick Taylor, like – they're down there and they're kind of in the, the range where it's playable. Uh, McCarthy ha- hits the heater with his putter and he's, he's kind of always a, a showdown type guy. Um, perhaps a week where you can also go back to the well with someone like Michael Thompson or, or Sam Ryder down in that low 7K range as well. What's your guess on how many boosts I'm going to have to get to get uh, Matthew Wolf into my lineups this week? The number, the number last week was a plus 20 boost required to get Wolf in. <laughs> it's... It's, I mean, it, it's got to be pretty similar at this point. I think, right? I think like plus 17 should do it this week. I'm going to scale it back a little bit. Last week, I was like 33% Matthew Wolf. I'll probably, I'll probably trim that back to like 15% this week. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, his, his three tours. So, I'll, so I'll be selling my packages for 1.2 markup based off of this information. <laughs> yeah, exactly. His, <laughs> his three tour performances, T50 at the, the Phoenix Open. 80th at the Travelers, miscut last week. Um, I don't, I mean, he was 6% owned last week. I'm happy to let the field play him at 6% owned again. Uh, wipe out some lineups. Easier, not, easier to get overweight the lower owned he gets, Drew. Yeah, I mean, you're not talking like 6.5K, which. Yeah, he like, should really be like a six six 6.3 golfer. Yeah, he what should be. Do? Yeah, so. But you, Sometimes like, you got to play bad to get there. You know, he's working on it. He's working his way down to the, the Panda man range. 
Yeah. Uh, other guys that I really like in like big MME builds. So like, you know, I'll make like 300, 350 lineups and then just sort of randomly enter them across contests, which by the way, last week, my best lineup across however, I don't even remember how many I made was in the Gups Corner um, League where like, it's like 80 bucks to first, but it's like a cumulative thing. But I forgot to enter a lineup into this contest like 20 times. So it like winning this late in the season doesn't even help me, which was, uh, that was, uh, that was a little brutal but other guys I like in those builds uh Siwoo Kim for Telly uh and then I I wanted to make a specific point to address Denny McCarthy because this was a question from the PGA chat on the Daily Roto Slack is like what do you do with someone who loses strokes everywhere and then gains them all back putting my answer was in a birdie fest week I think you like make a concerted effort to play guys like that because just the course is not going to play that tough other than the water. I want dudes who are just going to be making 18 footers, which Denny McCarthy over like a very long sample has done. Like he's priced cheap enough. Um, So I I guess in a single entry three max, like I'm not super excited about playing Denny McCarthy. I think you kind of saw like the ceiling last week finishing inside the top 25, but the, the ownership is low and the top 25 finishes all you need in MME that's the type of format where I'm comfortable playing him. And I typically would cap his ownership of someone like him at like 15%. And beyond that, kind of just, just let it fly. So um, I'm sure he's a guy that will make MMB builds. Even on FanDuel, I kind of set players like him in a group where I play at most one of them per team. So I, I think he's probably like a 10% play for me over there as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is, uh, I think that that is pretty reasonable. So going into guys who are even cheaper than that, Michael Thompson, I think, is quite good. Max Homa, Max Homa, very interesting guy, went from being like unplayable per the DG stuff to like rating out very well at similar prices over the last of the two months because he's put together. Uh, so many good rounds. Of course, our boy Adam Shank again will be a play at 6,900. A little bit of love for Troy Merritt and uh, Ryan Armour, or some other cheap guys that I'm pretty into. Yeah, I, if if homeless ownership stays close to 15, percent that's uh, that's a spot where I'd be comfortable with X and just allocate that exposure because he he projects as a good value, but so similar in projection to. 10, 15, 20 other guys that if there's a 12x disconnect on the ownership, I'm happy to allocate it elsewhere. Um, it's pretty unlikely that he has a, a ceiling performance like he did at the Wells Fargo and, and kind of guts all your lineups. A lot more likely that he makes the cut. If you play him, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't like kill you. Or I mean, if you fade him, he doesn't kill you. If you play him, you're not like leaping for joy. So I don't know. I think you can kind of fade guys like that. And if they finish like 40th in MME, especially the large field stuff, uh, you're, you're kind of fine either way. Um, so I'd rather just allocate some shares elsewhere. I think. Yeah. I think that that is pretty reasonable. Do you have anyone other super cheap that you, uh, that you'd like to tout here? No, no, not really. Um, I, I do think it's a week where dipping deep into the player pool is viable. Um, but try to set up some groups in the optimizers so that, you're not like jamming like three off the board plays together accidentally into some of your lineups and just focus on, on one or two guys per lineup. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's, uh, we're going to talk some bets. Yeah. I, I um, didn't take a close look at the board this week um, outside of thinking about the fact that there was a lot of long shot value that was live last week. And so those were some of the guys that I first was, was jumping at was, 
if you see a, a guy who is like in the betting tools was 200 to one, 250 to one showing us plus EV, it seemed like type of course, a type of week that some of those plays can come through. So I put a sprinkle here, there on some of those guys at 250 to one. Um, but we're talking, we're talking five to 10 bucks, nothing crazy. Yeah. I, di I didn't really see anyone particularly interesting that I wanted to bet. Like I'll probably bet some of the guys down at lower than like a hundred to one, but the only guy that I really wanted to get money down on who was higher up the board was Bryson. That was, that was really it for me. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's also one of the weeks where you can take a look at like the live, live betting. Um, I would say one of the head to head matchups that stood out was being able to bet Adam Hadwin versus Nate Lashley. It felt like Lashley's price got a big increase. And um, I think data golf makes Hadwin a minus one thirty three favorite and you can bet him at minus 115. So um, that was one of the head-to-head -head plays that I felt like was a, a better value where it kind of, what I typically do is take a look at the golf betting tools that we have and then kind of cross-check that with my gut. So uh, I like Hadwin there, and it seems like the, the lines have already kind of moved a little bit in that favor, and perhaps they, they continue to get there by the time Wednesday rolls around. So you might want to bet that now if, if you need that number. Do we uh, do we have first round leaders to tout? Uh, let's take a look at the first round leaders. Uh, the, the first one that comes up on the data golf tools, they they don't need to incentivize me very much to bet on Keith Mitchell as a first round leader. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say in general, first round leader. Um, I mean, you're going to want guys who who can go super low, and maybe the guys who are a little bit erratic. And Mitchell kind of meets the bar there. I think. The thing early in the week, I'm always hesitant with first round leaders is if there's no weather impact, then I think the tools and the way they're set up are awesome. If there is weather impact and it ends up in a, a split situation, I definitely think you want to end up taking that into account. And because we don't usually have a good weather forecast, like 48 hours before the event, uh, I'll typically like use the tools as the, the, the baseline and then wait until Wednesday night when the weather forecast is clear. And if I want to bump some things based on the waves, I'll kind of do that um, manually. But I, I think the number that you saw was probably 80 to one for Keith Mitchell first round leader. Yeah. 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 Which yeah. feels pretty reasonable to me. Yeah. It, and then, first round leader sweats are amazing. It's like, it's like showdown on crack. It's really good. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, some of the other guys that, are kind of fringe values in those betting markets. And if there ends up being any benefit to the AM or PM, then perhaps they would end up popping quite a bit in that type of scenario. Max Homa at hundred to one, Trey Mullinax at 125 to one. Both those guys just align with the gut too of guys who could shoot like a minus six or minus eight, but could also shoot a plus six or plus eight. Um, and then Scott Piercy and Sung Kang at sixteen eighty to one negative values right now, but if they happen to catch like even a small benefit in the weather, the conditions could end up seeing a positive expected value. Yeah, I uh, I agree. Is there, is there anything else? Oh, I guess we need to make one and done selections. This is uh, you have to take the floor here because this is uh, I believe the last week before I can start trying again. So th this is the end of the third segment. Yes, I, it, I let me go. Let me go look it up to make sure. But I'm almost certain this is the last event of the third segment. Yeah. So um, I would I would say like no no I'm wrong. This is the first event of the fourth segment. So I actually do have to try here. Yeah. So the the fourth segment you got the Open Championship and then you have the Tour Championship events and 
whoever your kind of best like five or six golfers are left, you probably want to uh, save those guys for those purses. And then beyond that, I think you start to just play like the best guy available whenever you can. So um, some of the guys I think might be best player available that you'll never play anywhere else. Patrick Reed, I think would be an interesting play this week. I don't think you're going to find a, a useful case for him the rest of the season. Uh, Rory Sabatini would be another one of those guys. And uh, I mean, if you want to take a, a gamble on one of the young guys coming up, like you want to play like a Victor Hovland or Sung JM in a one and done, I think this is the type of field where you could do that. Um, kind of just depends if you've already used Kepka, Matsuyama, Day, and Deshambo. Uh, Kepka, I definitely, if you haven't used him yet, you're going to want to save him for either the tour championship or the open championship. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, if I, I can't remember if I've used him yet or not, but I think Hideki would be sort of interesting here. And also I think, I mean, I, the data golf projections and you and I are not as high on him, but Patrick Reed feels like, so, like a reasonable one and done guy. Cause the chances of me actually using him at one of these WGCs or anything feels very low. Agree. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that that is going to do it for us here at the Going for the Green Daily Roto Fantasy Golf Podcast. Make sure to check out the best tools and projections that exist for daily fantasy golf in the industry on dailyroto.com. Good luck this week, and we will be back next week.